I was a senior in college working on a degree in political science. I had a plan to go to law school because that's always what I wanted to do. It's just what I thought I would do. Suddenly, I was filled with all sorts of questions and anxieties. I sort of had this early quarter-life crisis. I was partying a lot in my fraternity, and I'd never spent a whole lot of time thinking about what would happen after this life. And that all changed when I went on a trip to my grandma's house for Christmas. And for whatever reason, once that switch was flipped, I couldn't turn it off. I remember laying in the guest room of my grandma's house, and I felt tormented all night long. And I finally prayed this, God, if you're real, show me who you are. Nothing happened that night, but when I got back from my grandma's house, I went on a ski trip with my good friend, Eric. We left really early in the morning, and about an hour into the drive, Eric told me suddenly that he needed to pull over. And then he proceeded to tell me this, and I quote, there was a withered, emaciated hand that was hovering over your shoulder. Now, people have said a whole lot of weird things to me in my life, but I have to admit that takes the cake. Eric acted really nervous about it, and I knew pretty quickly that he truly believed that he saw a withered, emaciated hand over my shoulder. The truth is, I didn't believe it right away. It took me a while to come around, and we joked about it the rest of the drive. Then we skied all day, had an incredible fun time, and we made a late night drive back to campus. When we were about an hour from home, I noticed suddenly that the stereo was gradually getting quieter. And it was almost as if something was pushing the volume button and I looked and nothing was happening. On the face of the stereo, the volume was turning down. And then suddenly this CD popped out. And I know, listen, I'm of the era of CDs. I know we don't use those anymore. And it changed over to the radio and I looked on the face of the, of the stereo again and it methodically changed stations, like 94, 95, 96, 97, and it landed on a station. And the very first words that I heard were these, and Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. I knew immediately that God had just done what I'd asked him to do days earlier, to show me that he was real and to show me who he was. I remember listening to that radio preacher for the next 20 minutes or so, and he was explaining a story that's found in three out of four of the gospel accounts of Jesus's life. And it absolutely lit me on fire to read the Bible for the first time in my life. I actually did it like it was my job. I, I did it far more than I studied from that point on, and it started to get in me, and it changed my passions, and it actually changed my direction everything in my life started shifting. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Edge Church. I'm so glad to be with you this morning as we continue in our series called Alpha. We're exploring some of the basic tenets of the Christian faith and answering some of the questions that surround it. There is information everywhere, isn't there? There is so much information in this information age. It's never off. We have 24-hour news. We have 24-hour social media. We certainly have 24-hour Netflix and all of the other streaming entertainment platforms that exist. So you have to actually decide where you're going to go for your information. So today, we're going to talk about why and how do you read the Bible? Why and how do you read the Bible? Here, here's something that I find very interesting about the Bible. The Bible is the best-selling book 
of all time. And it is actually the best-selling book of all time of every week, of every year, of every decade. It's always the best-selling book, always has been, according to LifeWay Research. The average American household has three or four Bibles on the shelves. And that same study says that most people don't read the Bibles that are in their house. Charles Spurgeon once said that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I found that to be generally true in life. And that's not at all to suggest that people who consistently read the Bible don't have any problems. We all have problems. That's a guarantee in life. But people who regularly read the Bible and internalize it and and seek to practice it have a different perspective and peace in their troubles. So why should we read the Bible and how do we do it? Let me start by being very clear about the Edge Church's stance on Scripture. We believe that the Bible was inspired by God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God for us, and He inspired human authors to write it. And since it was inspired by our Creator, we believe that He is available to us when we sit to read His Word for us. So that leads me to our first point today, and it's this, that we read the Bible with an eye toward relationship rather than religion. So when you read the Bible, focus on relationship more than religion. So what do I mean by that? Religion is focused on humans, it's on us, doing the right things to get to God so that maybe we're acceptable to God. And that makes sense from our standpoint, right? Humans have tried to appease the gods for all sorts uh, of of a long time in, in, in the most sad and tragic of ways. We know deep down that we're not good enough, so we try to be good enough. And sometimes we take that same mindset into reading the Bible. It's almost as if we think that if we know enough, That's the magical formula for making God happy. And ultimately, when we reach the pearly gates, that maybe he'll say, well, let me give you a quick quiz on the Bible. And if we have our doctrine all right and we know enough, then he will let us into heaven. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus broke it down for the religious leaders of his time. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So where is life found? It's not found in self-help books, and it's not even found in the Bible. It's found in Jesus, the one that the Bible is about. I've counseled a whole lot of couples with a whole lot of different issues. And one of the things that consistently comes up in in relationships that are otherwise healthy is the subject of communication. I'd say it's probably the number one issue that I've helped couples work through. It's not at all uncommon for couples to come to me and I realize really quickly that they know a whole lot about each other, as in like factually about each other. And they often find a sense of security in that. But ultimately, that's not enough. It's not enough to know about a person because relationships aren't just about knowing facts or details about a person. They're actually about coming together with a person, with another person and knowing them and also being known. Very different than just knowing facts. 
1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Isn't that fascinating? So many of us want knowledge, but we're told in Scripture, and I think we see it played out in our lives, that when we know a lot, we tend to feel kind of proud. And that's what religion does. It makes us feel proud of what we know and what we do. But then on the flip side, relationship is focused on knowing and being with another person and resting in that simple relationship of just coming together and and being together. There's a lot of comfort in that. One of the biggest critiques that Jesus made of the religious leaders of his time was that they taught about God, but in essence, converted people to a dead religion. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 15, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And we think that we should just be nice to people all the time. Jesus really could speak some harsh sounding words to people, but it was truth. And he did it with love. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And reading the Bible does not automatically equate to having a relationship. James, the brother of Jesus, really explained it this way in James chapter 2, verse 19. He said, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. So even when we believe the right things, After reading from the right book, it doesn't necessarily equate to a relationship. Very important. Here's our second idea today. We need to read the Bible with prayer. There are literally hundreds of different translations of the Bible and far more commentaries about the Bible than that. So here's what that means. If we're not careful, we'll end up reading books about the Bible that aren't even accurate interpretations of the specific translation of the Bible. Remember, last week we talked about the why and how of prayer, and that prayer is just communication with God. So in light of that, doesn't it make sense that we would want to ask the Spirit of God to be with us when we read the book that he inspired? It just makes sense. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The author is saying, I can read this and miss everything you're trying to say to me and miss what you're speaking to my heart. So he's saying, open my eyes. I need you to be with me as I read this so that I understand what you want from me. That must mean that we can read the book. We can read the Bible with closed hearts and blind eyes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that when you might talk about something that God is doing in your life, people want to mock it and and laugh even at the spiritual things, almost like, okay, that just sounds like luck to me, or they just sort of minimize it. It's like, it doesn't matter what you say about God, some people just won't receive it. They'll have a ready-made explanation for why it wasn't actually God. Well, maybe we were in that position once before too, but God is gracious 
to them just like he is to us. And he wants us to understand this message for us and his love that he has for us. In Acts chapter 8, we get to be privy to what is happening behind the spiritual curtains as God seeks to open the eyes of people to his truth. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? From his life, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuchs asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. When I read that, I am genuinely filled with such a hope and gratitude because it tells me and it shows me over and over that God loves us and he's for us. So he pursues us. It's what we read. It's the, the whole message of the Bible. That's why it's so important for us to read it. John chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Some of the most familiar uh, uh, verses in all of scripture. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So here's our final idea today. We need to read the Bible for transformation. We need to read for transformation. Evangelist D.L. Moody once said, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Hear that one more time. The Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Isn't it far easier to sort of sleepwalk through life and just check boxes? It is in so many things, but that is not what God wants for us. He actually wants to partner with us, with him in our transformation. He wants to work with us and make us look just like Jesus in our lives by the power of his spirit. But we have something to do. Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
You know what that means? It really means this. What we think about matters. That's why if I say to you right now, whatever you do, do not think of the color green. If I say that to you, I just told you not to think about something, but automatically the color green flashed in your mind and you're probably having a hard time not thinking about the color green right now. But what if I say this? What if I say, focus on the color red? Very soon after I say that, you're not gonna be thinking much about green anymore. I think it's no different than our very deeply ingrained habits and our sinful patterns. We can try really hard to stop doing something like, hey, you need to stop drinking. Okay, I'm gonna re try really hard to stop drinking. You, you need to stop taking pills. Okay, I'm gonna try really hard to stop taking pills. You need to stop smoking pot. Okay, I'm gonna try really hard to stop smoking pot or whatever it is. You can try really hard to stop something or you can have a little bit of a shift in your mind and, and attempt to actively think about other things, to actively focus on other things, to give our heart and give our love and affection towards other things. We can read all day long and never be changed if we are just gathering information and not putting it into practice. James tells us not to fall into the trap of only gathering information. James chapter one, verses 22 to 25, it says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It all starts in the mind, every bit of it. How we think determines our steps. And I'm sure that's why in order to have a relationship with God at all, he tells us that we have to repent. To, to repent means to rethink, to make the choice to actually change directions, to recognize that you are going down a wrong path. And you see that and you say, I'm not gonna keep going down that path. As a matter of fact, I need to find a new path. And you turn and you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to go your way. So you have a change of, of mind that leads to a change in direction. It's far more than just remorse. We've all felt sorry for something and had absolutely no intention of changing. We've all felt sorry for something and we've cried and we've said, I'll never do it again. And then we do it again. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a rethinking that leads to a change in direction. How you think matters. God calls us to leave our old ways behind and turn to Jesus and ask him to help us to live his way with him forever. He'll never turn you down when you do that. I'm so sorry if you've been disappointed by people in your life. I'm so sorry if you've had people who are supposed to love you unconditionally and they haven't but God will and God does. In Acts chapter two, verse 38, um, we're told how to commit our lives to this God. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the same spirit who will encourage you all along the way as you read the Bible for your transformation. 
In just a moment, we're going to end with worship, but we love to give you questions to consider in your house churches or wherever else you gather during this week. The first question is this, what is your main takeaway from the sermon today? The second question is, how can you move from looking at Bible reading as a spiritual to-do list to considering it as a life-giving relational fill-up? And the final one is this. It's really just a challenge. I want to challenge you to make this your prayer this week before you sit to read the Bible. Just say, Jesus, I trust that you are here with me. Open my eyes to your truth and your love. Speak to me your words of life and fill me with your presence. Change me from the inside out. May I never be the same. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.